so much, everyone who's in attendance, and uh, thank you to uh, our three nominees for agreeing to do this. It's a pleasure to welcome you here today. I want to thank each of you uh, for being here and for your willingness to serve. The countries you are nominated to serve in are not the easiest posts that, uh, that we have to offer, so I'd, I'd like to thank not only you, but also your families uh, for the sacrifices uh, they make in allowing you to pursue your role as an ambassador. The President's national security strategy talks about the reemergence of great power rivalry, and over the next few decades, competition between the United States, China, and Russia will have to be a factor in many U.S. policy decisions. All three posts represent some aspect of those challenges. China is quickly trying to make the Indian Ocean part of their near ab abroad, and they are working to exert influence in Sri Lanka and the Maldives. China used a uh, debt crisis in Sri Lanka to seize control of a port in the country and has thereby guaranteed access for over 100 years. Meanwhile, infrastructure projects uh, in the Maldives are increasingly funded by the Chinese. At the same time, the United States has its own interests in these countries. The United States is the largest export market for Sri Lanka, and ethnic reconciliation remains a key issue to seeing Sri Lanka prosper economically. In the Maldives, foreign fighters from uh, there have posed a significant challenge in Iraq and Syria. With the erosion of democratic values and the rule of law in the Maldives, our ability to cooperate on counterterrorism issues and security in the Indian Ocean could shrink substantially. In Nepal, they have experienced a lot, more, a lot of more diplomatic and economic engagement from both India and China. China has made significant inroads uh, pledging heavy infrastructure investment as they have in several places in the world. I hope this investment does not corrupt the uh, conduct of business and the rule of law. The new MCC compact between the United States and Nepal could help them continue to improve their governance. There is a moment of opportunity in Nepal, and I hope we can seize it. While Nepal certainly faces challenges, it also has many potential opportunities. Mr. Barry, you will have the important job of helping to foster some of those uh, opportunities. In uh, the Kyrgyz Republic, U.S. interests have waxed and waned over the past decades. It was a key country during the hardest fighting in Afghanistan, but with the closure of uh, Manas Air Base and the rejection of the bilateral cooperation agreement, uh, the Kyrgyz Republic made a choice to move even closer to Russia. At the same time, Chinese influence is rising. China owns half the debt in the country and continues to invest in infrastructure projects uh, as part of its One Belt, One Road initiative. I'm concerned that Russia's efforts could limit our engagement options, providing Moscow with more opportunities to increase their influence. Similarly, China is increasing, increasingly testing uh, Russia's dominance in Central Asia, posing challenges to U.S. influence. Still with new leadership, in Bezhlek and the President's anti-corruption initiative, it may be time for the United States to re-engage. The recent contract with a U.S. company to modernize their hydropower turbines is a positive indicator of wanting to balance Russian and Chinese influence. In addition, there remains places for cooperation, especially in counterterrorism. Mr. Liu, uh, you will have the challenging job of fostering progress in the Republic's fight against corruption as well as finding a balance between Russian, Chinese, and U.S. interests. Again, these are, challenge, these are challenge posts, and we look forward to hearing your thoughts 
on how the United States can move forward with these countries. Uh, Senator King. Uh, thank you to my chair. I appreciate uh, him calling this hearing, and I just want to at the outset congratulate you for these nominations, and thank you for your long careers of service at the State Department. Mr. Berry, I will say, I have been to Lindsborg, Kansas. I know you went to Bethany College, but my parents are from Wamego and El Dorado, Kansas. When I saw somebody who had spent some quality time at Bethany, I was particularly glad that you were going to be here today. Uh, your careers are real tributes to you and to the wonderful people who work at the State Department. Um, as I travel, and I know my chair feels the same way, we reach out to our foreign service professionals all over the globe, and we're very, very proud of the work they do and, and the work that you do. Um, the, the, the subcommittee that Chairman Rich uh, is over and that I'm the ranking on it has a long name, and I just call it Marrakesh to Bangladesh. It covers a lot of ground. Um, and, and your three countries are three countries that we maybe don't hear as much about in subcommittee meetings or even the work of the full committee, and that's another important reason to have this hearing today. All three countries are open to partnerships with the United States. All three countries are increasingly looking to Russia and China. They need to do what's best for them, but we need to seize opportunities to create partnerships that are, that are meaningful. Um, Kyrgyzstan faces a lot of challenging economic issues and weak governmental institutions, and they are having an increased proclivity to move toward Russia. Uh, they were very, very important ally of ours with an air base there as we worked uh, during the thick of the Afghanistan uh, war in Afghanistan. Uh, they now have a base, an air base from Russia, and Russia is looking to do a second base there. Nepal has longstanding uh, historic ties with India, obviously, but is also seeking to expand its ties with China through the infrastructure investments that are being made as part of the One Belt, One Road initiative. Uh, and then finally, Sri Lanka and the Maldives are both important in geostrategic uh, relations in the area. Uh, Senator Rich talked a little bit about this recent news about the port operation in Sri Lanka, and that's just an indication of the increasing Chinese presence in Sri Lanka and other countries as well. Um, I'll also be asking you some questions about what you can do consistent with building partnership to press uh, for a continued uptick in human rights reforms in the nations where you'll serve. Um, but I, again, congratulate you for the nomination and uh, look forward to hearing your testimony and asking you questions. Thanks, Mr. Chair. Thank you. We're now going to hear from each uh, of the nominees, and we'll start uh, with Donna Liu of California, a career member of the Senior Foreign Service, a class of uh, minister, counselor to be ambassador, extraordinary and uh, plenipotentiary of the United States of America to the Kyrgyz Republic. So, Mr. Liu, the floor is yours for five Thank minutes. You. Thank you, Senator Rich. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Ranking Minority Member, I am honored to be here today as President Trump's nominee to be the next ambassador to the Kyrgyz Republic. I am grateful to the President and to Secretary Pompeo for the confidence they have placed in me, and if confirmed, I pledge to work closely with the Congress to advance our nation's interests in the Kyrgyz Republic. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I uh, want to say that my family couldn't be with me here today. They are in Albania where they're finishing the school year and getting ready for this next adventure. Uh, my wife assures me, though, that the kids are not playing video games and they're watching us on TV right now. Sir, if you'll allow me. What, what time is it there? Right? It's uh, six hours ahead, sir. 4.30. So if uh, you'll allow me, I'd like to say, uh, say a shout out to my daughter, Alia, my son, Kip, and my beautiful wife, Ariel. Uh, as a son of an immigrant to the United States, I am particularly blessed to have served my country in the U.S. Foreign Service and the Peace Corps. I've seen the importance of American leadership in the world. 
For most of my 27 years in the State Department, I have worked in the emerging democracies of Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union, including three years as Deputy Chief of Mission in the Kyrgyz Republic. It would be my honor to return there as our ambassador, a country renowned for its incredibly beautiful mountains, hospitable people, and rich cultural heritage. Mr. Chairman, for centuries, Central Asia has been at the crossroads of civilizations. Its strategic position has brought both tremendous opportunities and daunting challenges. If you'll allow me, I'll mention three. First, all of Central Asia, including the Kyrgyz Republic, faces a difficult challenge of the risk of radicalism at home and the spread of extremism from terrorist organizations operating from Afghanistan. The Kyrgyz government reports 800 of its citizens leaving to become foreign terrorist fighters. Consistent with the President's Afghanistan and South Asia strategy, we should be looking for new ways to support the Kyrgyz people in preventing violent extremism at home, but also in enlisting their support in countering terrorist organizations operating from Afghanistan. We are already working to identify at-risk populations and working with the Kyrgyz people to create opportunity and jobs that deter the growth of extremism. We can and we should do more to defend both of our societies from terrorism. Second, in supporting entrepreneurship and economic prosperity, we as Americans have a lot to offer. Both bilaterally and as part of the C5 plus one process, the United States is working with all of the Central Asian countries to support greater interconnectedness of their economies with a global marketplace. For example, we are working with the Kyrgyz Republic to facilitate the sale of its surplus hydroelectric power during summer months to support the growing energy needs of Afghanistan and Pakistan. We support the development of a positive business climate that will enable American investors and American traders to compete fairly with business people from all over the world to develop a robust Kyrgyz economy. And third, I believe we can have an open and honest dialogue with the new Kyrgyz government about how we can support stability and security while promoting our common values of democracy and support for human rights. This dialogue should be built on trust, respect, and confidence, and not one country lecturing another. We should work together to find ways to promote civil society, media freedom, an independent judiciary, and the rule of law. Finally, Mr. Chairman, if you'll allow me, I'd like to tell a story about the courage of the Kyrgyz and American people when faced with a common peril. In 2004, a Soviet-built Mi-8 Kyrgyz helicopter crashed in a snowstorm in the remote Tianxin mountain range. The military believed there were survivors, but weather conditions prevented an air rescue. By chance, some of our embassy staff, including a former US Army Ranger, were conducting a snowmobile training exercise in the area for the Kyrgyz Border Patrol. The American trainers, with the support of the Kyrgyz Border Guards, set off in the night to find the survivors. They drove in dangerous conditions, with sub-zero temperatures and in near-zero visibility conditions. They, with some difficulty, found the passengers and crew. Some of them were very seriously injured. They loaded them onto makeshift sleds, and they pulled them behind the snowmobiles through the night to safety. That night, they rescued every one of the survivors. This is what Americans and the Kyrgyz people can do together. If confirmed, I will take seriously my role as chief of mission to manage and safeguard our most precious resources, our people, including our local staff, who take great risks to fulfill their duties on behalf of our mission, our embassy, and the strong reputation of the United States abroad. If confirmed, 
I look forward to building the relations between our two great nations and defending and promoting the interests of the United States and the Kyrgyz Republic. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Liu. That's an inspiring story of the cooperation between the uh, Kyrgyz and, uh, and the United States. So thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, we now uh, have uh, two nominees from the great state of Colorado. So I'd like to yield to my good friend, Senator Gardner, who will introduce, first of all, Mr. Barry. Uh, thank you. Thank you, uh, Senator uh, Risch. Thank you for this opportunity, and congratulations to all three of our nominees this morning. And thank you very much for your, your public service. Uh, and to your families who are here, thank you very much for the public service that you have uh, been a part of uh, these years. Uh, it's a great honor to, to, to be able to introduce two Coloradans on the same panel. Uh, Colorado has a great legacy and history of, of foreign service officers. Uh, uh, Senator Risha, thank you. And uh, uh, I'd introduce real quick uh, Randy Berry, of course, uh, Colorado, a career member of the sen Senior Foreign Service, Class of Minister Counselor to be Ambassador Extraordinary uh, and plenipotentiary of the United States of America to the Federal Democratic Republic of Nepal. Uh, a fifth-generation Coloradan, if I recall, from Custer County, and your, your neighbor there to the right uh, got a place in Penrose. Uh, so this is pretty incredible that we were, <laughs> this is amazing uh, coincidence here. Um, the Honorable Elena B. Teplitz as well from uh, Colorado, a career member of the Foreign Service, uh, Senior Foreign Service, class of Minister Counselor to be Ambassador Extraordinary and uh, Plenipotentiary of the United States of America to the Democratic Socialist Republic of Sri Lanka, and to serve concurrently and without additional compensation, sorry about that, uh, as <laughs> Ambassador <laughs> Extraordinary. Uh, and plenipotentiary of the United States of America to the Republic of Maldives. Uh, welcome to you both. Thank you for the opportunity to introduce you. Congratulations. Thank you, Mr. Berry. The floor is yours. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, ranking minority member, members of the committee. It's an honor for me to be here today uh, as the president's nominee for U.S. Ambassador uh, to Nepal. Uh, though I was, uh, I, I would like to take a, a moment to acknowledge my family without whom I, I would have some difficulty getting up in the morning. Uh, I'm very, very pleased to be uh, enthusiastically supported here uh, by my spouse, Pravesh Singh, uh, by my uh, sister, Rita Wilson, who is representing the family out in Colorado, uh, and my two most important foreign policy advisors, my six-year-old daughter, Aria, <laughs> uh, who just graduated from kindergarten, I should note, uh, and my five-year-old son, Xander. <laughs> oh, very good, very good. Uh, though I was educated in Kansas, uh, as you noted, Senator, I'm uh, indeed, we were comparing notes, and I am, in, in fact, a sixth-generation Coloradan. My, my sister uh, has, has uh, informed me, and I grew up uh, by learning the value of a strong worth, work ethic and commitment to responsibility by watching and working alongside my parents, who are still at the helm of our legacy family-run cattle ranch, uh, as you noted, down in Custer County, uh, now nearly 120 years since it was founded by, uh, by my family. Uh, though I was raised in the shadow of the Great San Sangre de Cristo Range of the Southern Rockies, uh, my life as a Foreign Service officer since then over the last 25 years has taken me around the world and back. Nepal, much like my home state and America itself, is a place defined by great diversity of landscapes and people and is home to another of the world's great mountain ranges, the Himalaya. South Asia has figured prominently in my career, from my very first assignment in the Foreign Service in Bangladesh in 1993 to my current role as Deputy Assistant Secretary in the Bureau of Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor, where I've worked hard to advocate for the principles of human rights and religious freedom across South and Central Asia specifically. A decade ago, I had the privilege of serving at our embassy in Nepal as the Deputy Chief of Mission. 
And back when I arrived in Kathmandu in 2007, the country was a monarchy and had, and had just emerged from a 10-year conflict that claimed nearly 20,000 lives. But today, Nepal has embarked on an ambitious peace process, promulgated a new constitution, and is making a remarkable and long-awaited transition to stability. Years of US diplomatic engagement, development assistance, military cooperation, and disaster preparedness have advanced American interests while helping open the way as well for Nepal to become a more peaceful, stable democracy. With the successful conclusion of historic elections in 2017, Nepal now stands at a turning point. The new government has prioritized reforms to unleash economic growth and development and has announced a zero tolerance stance on corruption. Mr. Chairman, my vision for the bilateral relationship between Nepal and the United States builds on the substantial progress and also sets out a few key priorities. And if confirmed, I look forward to leading our dynamic and talented team of American and Nepali staff at the US mission in Kathmandu to deepen our partnership and further our shared interests and values. First, we will work to promote American security by supporting a stable, secure, democratic, and sovereign Nepal. We will encourage transparent and, account and accountable governance, highlight the importance of respect for human rights and religious freedom, urge the full implementation of a credible transitional justice process, and advocate for political inclusion of Nepalis of every background. By supporting Nepal's own priorities, we will position ourselves to work together more effectively to counter transnational organized crime, bolster, bolster border security, and strengthen the rule of law in Nepal. Second, we will work to increase American prosperity by supporting Nepal's development as a reliable economic partner. Though modest in overall volume, American exports to Nepal have doubled, doubled over the last five years. Nepal's commitment to reform and our embassy's efforts to promote a transparent investment climate provide American firms even greater opportunity in this growing market. US, USAID's support for a more productive agricultural sector and a better business environment showcases the best of American innovation while also helping Nepal realize its own economic potential. The jointly funded $630 million Millennium Challenge Corporation Compact, signed last September, will develop and sustain key parts of the country's electricity and transportation infrastructure, better integrating it in the, into the regional economy. Third, we will support Nepal's efforts to transform itself into a self-reliant, independent, and resilient partner for the United States. If confirmed, I will continue U.S. efforts to empower civil society, women, the media, and the public to become more active participants in the country's future. As U.S. assistance continues to support the Nepali government's reconstruction program in the wake of the devastating 2015 earthquake, we will also work to help enable Nepal to engage within the South Asian region and in international fora in a manner consistent with its sovereignty. In so doing, we aim to support the administration's Indo-Pacific strategy, which seeks to build strong inter-regional economic and security links. Mr. Chairman, none of this would be possible without the strong and continued support of Congress for the United States efforts in Nepal. I thank this committee and others in Congress for that uh, continuing support, and if confirmed, I look forward to working with you and the other members uh, over the coming years. Thank you, and thank I look forward to your questions. Thank you very much. Uh Ms. Teblitz, you're no stranger to this process. Uh, we welcome you again. Uh, uh, please, the floor is yours. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Ranking Member, Senator Gardner. I'm honored to be here, be here before you as the President's nominee for U.S. Ambassador to Sri Lanka and concurrently to Maldives with no extra pay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 
I'm also very pleased that members of my family could join me today. Their support and encouragement has what, is what has put me in this chair. My mother, Marsha, and now her partner, Ron, have visited me no matter how remote the location in every country in which I've served in the Foreign Service except for Afghanistan. My husband, Robert, a former Marine, has kept me grounded. His love and loyalty really buoy me during challenging times. I'm also very fortunate to have support from my extended family and my brother-in-law, Frank, and sister-in-law, Sarah, were able to join us today, coming from Virginia. Uh, other family and friends, including my two college-aged sons, were unable to be present. My son, Max, is studying abroad in Kosovo this summer, while his brother, Miles, is, a, is a, attending a summer course in physics and taking emergency medical technician training. My father, Jack, and my stepmother, Marcella, uh, are at their home in uh, Peoria, Illinois, where they're deeply involved in their community, reminding me of what's best about Americans and the democratic values that we nurture. And as the present U.S. Ambassador to Nepal, I have really relied on two previous tours in the region in Bangladesh and Afghanistan, as well as South and Central Asian Bureau assignment, to provide a foundation of understanding about the culture, history, and unique geopolitics of South Asia. I'm going to continue to build on this experience to carry out my duties as ambassador to Sri Lanka and Maldives, if confirmed. Mr. Chairman, Sri Lanka and the Maldives are important to the wider security and prosperity of the Indo-Pacific region. Both nations are positioned astride key shipping lanes that connect the Straits of Hormuz and Malacca, the free navigation of which is vital to U.S. economic and security interests. We must also be mindful of the economic and commercial opportunities each country affords, and the importance of working with them to maintain a rules-based international order. Sri Lanka has come a long way since voters in 2015 rejected the corruption, strife, and repression of the past, and through their support behind a reform, reconciliation, and accountability agenda. However, the pace of progress on reform and justice has been slow, and as anti-Muslim riots in March so painfully demonstrated, the work of mending inter-ethnic and inter-religious fissures remains incomplete. We continue to support Sri Lanka's efforts to make good on its commitments to its people, to come to terms with its past, to implement justice and accountability measures, and to secure a peaceful, prosperous future. We also support growth of Sri Lanka's capacity to make greater contributions to regional stability while protecting its own sovereignty and national interests. Sri Lanka's success in this endeavor will make it a stronger partner to the United States and contribute to our shared vision of a free and open Indo-Pacific. Mr. Chairman, the Maldives is a nation of atolls that faces serious challenges, from the spread of extremism and environmental threats such as encroaching seas, coastal degradation, and natural disasters, to the curtailment of freedom of expression and other democratic rights under the current government. The February suspension of the Constitution, imprisonment of Supreme Court justices, prompted condemnation from around the international community and from the United States. We remain concerned about this situation and urge Maldives' leadership to abide by the rule of law and to allow democratic institutions to function. In areas where our interests intersect, such as countering violent extremism, we continue to engage the Maldives. It's possible that a return to the democratic path would make a wider array of cooperation possible. Mr. Chairman, if confirmed, I will work in both Sri Lanka and Maldives to advance U.S. values and a shared vision of good governance, transparent economic development, free navigation and commerce, fair and open investment environments, and a stable rules-based regional order. And I will look forward to leading a mission committed to these goals. I'd like to express my appreciation to this committee and its members for your support of U.S. engagement in Sri Lanka and Maldives, and to thank you for considering my nomination. 
Thank you so very much. Again, thanks to all of you for uh, willing to take on these posts. Uh, we're going to go to a, a round of questions now. I'm going to start with you, uh, Mr. Liu. Uh, the Kyrgyz Republic has a key, has a deep relationship with Russia, as we all know, and often aligns itself with Russian policy like the Eurasian Economic Union or Russian calls to kick the U.S. out of Manas Air Base. At the same time, China owns half the country's debt and continues to invest in critical infrastructure as well. What are, the, what, what are your views on the prospects uh, of uh, U.S. policy in the Republic, uh, given those serious challenges? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. It, it, very true that Russia has, over the past several years, been increasing its leverage on the Kyrgyz Republic, uh, economic, political, military leverage that takes the form, as you suggested, sir, of the Eurasian Economic Union, also the Collective Security Treaty Organization. Uh, you mentioned earlier flying military aircraft out of the Kant Air Base near Bishkek. There's also the dependence on remittances now of Kyrgyz workers working in Russia. Uh, if confirmed, sir, I will uh, try to articulate a positive forward-looking agenda with the Kyrgyz Republic. I will not shrink from recognizing when the Russian government is introducing disinformation about our interests, and it will not allow our relations to be defined by Russian provocation. Concerning China, uh, China is aggressively pushing an economic agenda throughout Central Asia, but particularly the Kyrgyz Republic. This includes purchasing of large amounts of infrastructure, roads, hydroelectric power, heating systems for major cities. As you mentioned, they are the owners of half of the Kyrgyz external debt, about $1.7 billion in debt. I think many economists would argue that's not commercially reasonable for one creditor to provide that much debt exposure to one country. If confirmed, I will be steadfast in recommending to the Kyrgyz government that they be mindful of the risks of overdependence on one creditor. And lastly, I would say uh, the real, real way to boost the economy of the Kyrgyz Republic is not by taking out loans from China. It's about fixing the business climate to attract investors and traders from all over the world, including the United States. Thank you very much. I, I've always uh, observed that when you have a, a substantial flow of remittances, it really binds the two countries, uh, uh, as, as we've seen in many other examples. Can you give us uh, some kind of sense of the uh, volume we're talking about here? Sir, so, uh, the last estimate I saw was 30% of the gross domestic wow. product of the Kyrgyz mm -hmm. Republic, so very substantial. Very significant. Uh, Senator Kane. Uh, thank you. Uh, Ambassador Liu, first a question for you about the uh, Kyrgyz Republic, just to continue on the theme that we're on. This is a country that has had significant uh, challenges with corruption. Transparency International um, has indicated that it has one of the worst records in the world. Talk a little bit about the current government's effort to tackle corruption, how the United States can be helpful. Thank you, Senator. Uh, the Kyrgyz Republic ranks 135 out of 180 countries, according to Transparency International, on the rankings on corruption. President Gianbekov, the new president who was elected in October, has said that corruption, fighting corruption, is one of his top priorities, and he has regarded it as a national security threat. And he adopted several anti-corruption measures in February to include continuation of e-government platforms to help reduce the amount of uh, instances in which uh, citizens must interact with government officials at a working level. We have been working in this space for a long time through USAID 
and our public affairs platforms. To promote good governance and anti-corruption, I think there's more we can do. Uh, this was a focus of my time as ambassador in Albania, and if mm -hmm. confirmed, this will be a focus of my attention in the Kyrgyz Republic. Excellent. Um, the, the Republic ranks as a tier two nation with respect to uh, trafficking in persons in the State Department's report for the last eight years. Um, they have made some progress, uh, notably in May of 2016, the Republic created the Coordination Council on Migration to direct efforts both on migration issues, but including focusing on human trafficking and improving their record. What do you think we might be able to do to assist them in that work? Absolutely. Uh, there has been uh, important progress, as you suggest, Senator, but also a number of setbacks. In terms of the setbacks, I would note over the last three years, every year a decline in the number of investigations and prosecutions of traffickers. Uh, the progress, uh, you, you uh, started talking about that. There's also the approval of a national action plan and the piloting of a victim identification program and a national referral mechanism. These are really important starts, but we would like to see more than just plans and legislation, real differences made on the ground. Uh, I, again, when I was uh, in, ambassador in Albania, we worked quite a bit on anti-trafficking. I, if confirmed, will make that a priority of my time in the Kyrgyz Republic. Thank you, Ambassador Liu. Mr. Barry, um, I hate to follow a really competent person in a job. Um, I, I like to follow like a really incompetent person into a job, and so you're sitting next to this person and you're going to be following her in the position. I, I, I do not envy you. Um, Nepal is a very poor nation, and, and yet it has a number of underutilized assets, and one is hydropower. Um, what, what is being done to harness that energy to help the country and what might the United States or U.S. firms do to help Nepal with that uh, opportunity? Uh, well, thank you for that question, Senator, and also for addressing uh, certainly one of my greatest anxieties as I, as I prepare for this assignment. Um, the good thing is I know, uh, I know where to find uh, <laughs> Ambassador Teplitz uh, pretty much at any time. Mm -hmm. uh, indeed, uh, Nepal is a, a place of, of great potential, and it's one of the reasons I'm, I'm so uh, excited about the potential of, of heading out there if confirmed. Uh, one of those is, is really the ability to develop, uh, to benefit from, and to, in, in where it's possible, export uh, energy as well. Uh, the United States is doing a lot, I think, to, to help Nepal realize that. Uh, in order to, to really develop those basic capacities, uh, the great need is, is infrastructure. Uh, through this new uh, compact that, is being, that has been signed and will uh, sometime in the middle of next year uh, go live, uh, the U.S. will be committing $500 million, uh, supplemented by $130 million devoted by the government of Nepal, uh, to take on two uh, significant components. The vast majority of that money, uh, in excess of $500 million, will go towards the development of uh, transmission lines, high-voltage transmission lines, uh, to, to the Indian border, uh, which will help uh, disseminate uh, that, that, that power resource. Uh, and another uh, residual amount that will go to uh, the, the maintenance and construction of roads. So I, b I believe, again, that this is uh, a great potential for Nepal, and I look forward to seeing what I could do, uh, if confirmed, in helping develop that. Nepal is a very poor country. A quarter of the population lives below the poverty level. These projects uh, can be helpful. Nepal is also still recovering from a very damaging April 2015 earthquake. How is that recovery going, and what are... Uh, remaining uh, steps that should be taken and talk a little bit about the role of USAID and other uh, institutions of the American government in helping Nepal advance uh, people out of poverty. 
Of course, thank you. Uh, well, it, I, I think the short answer is that, that much has been done, but much still remains to be done. Uh, you know that I'm proud that the United States uh, was was there uh, with, uh, with a presence and helping in the immediate aftermath of the quake. Uh, but importantly, has remained there uh, throughout that, that, that period that my, my esteemed colleague to my right has overseen uh, a, a, strate a, a very strategic and smart engagement and commitment of resources from USAID, uh, where we have helped uh, the Nepalis stand up what is now the world's largest owner-driven uh, housing program. Uh, where our, uh, our, our devotion of, of, of approximately $190 million to help that effort uh, has really been supplemented by funds that the Nepali government has also devoted to this cause. Uh, I believe that there is some concern about the, the, the speed of, of some of that home uh, construction. Um, I think one of the, the critical uh, things, at least I have learned, is, is uh, as we look at this issue, is that you know ensuring that uh, the, the types of structures that replace those that were destroyed in the quake are in fact uh, resistant right. to the type of disaster that is is quite pot uh, potentially going to happen again in the future. Thank you. Well, bef before I move and ask Ambassador Teplitz a question or two, I will just also acknowledge that the trafficking report for Nepal in 2017 said, "quote Nepal does not fully meet the minimum standards for the elimination of trafficking." So, this is also a, a, an effort that I know you and your team will be focused on. Uh, should you be confirmed. Um, Ambassador Teplitz, I just want to read the, the lead in an article that I just saw, the, an extensive article in the New York Times from a couple of days back, how China got Sri Lanka to cough up a port, and it refers to the comments that the chairman was making in his opening. Every time Sri Lanka's president, Mahinda Rajapaksa, forgive me if I've got it wrong on the pronunciation, turned to his Chinese allies for loans and assistance with an ambitious port project, the answer was yes. Yes, though feasibility studies said the port wouldn't work, Yes, though other frequent lenders like India had refused. Yes, though Sri Lanka's debt was ballooning rapidly. Over years of construction and renegotiation with China Harbor Engineering Company, one of Beijing's largest state-owned enterprises, the Hambantada Port Development Project distinguished itself mostly by failing, as predicted. With tens of thousands of ships passing by along one of the world's busiest shipping lanes, the port drew only 34 ships in 2012. And then the port became China's. Mr. Rajapaksa was voted out of office in 2015, but Sri Lanka's new government struggled to make payments on the debt he had taken on. Under heavy pressure and after months of negotiations with the Chinese, the government handed over the port and 15,000 acres of land around it for 99 years last December. The transfer gave China control of territory just a few hundred miles off the shores of a rival India and a strategic foothold along a critical commercial and military waterway. The case is one of the most vivid examples of China's ambitious use of loans and aid to gain influence around the world and its willingness to play hardball to collect. What, what is the reaction, uh, the Sri, Sri Lankan's public reaction to this deal uh, with China and this new state of affairs where they have control over this operation for 99 years? Senator, thank you for that really important question. As I noted in my opening statement, uh, Sri Lanka occupies a very geostrategically important location, and of course, uh, that location uh, and its importance has not been lost on others. Uh, as I uh, have seen in uh, the research I've been doing uh, prior to this hearing, uh, the government of Sri Lanka has uh, walked into these deals. Uh, in response to that article, uh, it further went on to discuss the corrupt practices 
that were engaged in to try and influence that 2015 election, and that has most Chi Chinese payments Chinese to the candidate to the losing candidate, the Indeed. candidate that they had been able to negotiate and get everything they wanted from. Indeed, and that has uh, caught the attention of the Sri Lankan public. Uh, and I think that we have, must be clear-eyed about China's practices, and we must be frank and open with our partners uh, about the dangers of those practices. Uh, we have to have no illusions uh, that this is not a transparent or accountable uh, offering that China is making. And if confirmed, there are four areas that I'd like to try and address uh, to uh, engage and strengthen our partnership with Sri Lanka. Uh, the first is looking at economic and commercial ties that can provide a much more viable and economically realistic alternative to some of the projects that you mentioned uh, from that article. Uh, Sri Lanka, as the chairman noted, is, uh, provides uh, to the United States uh, its largest export destination. Uh, we can also look at imports uh, to Sri Lanka, other opportunities for investment. Uh, secondly, I think that we need to increase the number of professional and people-to-people -people exchanges in order to shape and influence the environment and an understanding about some of the practices that are out there that are not beneficial to Sri Lanka's sovereignty in the long run. Thirdly, I think we also need to be quite clear about the quality of the assistance that we deliver. Uh, and that is transparent, accountable assistance that is done in concert with our partner, Sri Lanka, and that is delivering genuine value to the people at the conclusion of the projects. Uh, there is a Millennium Challenge Corporation compact that is uh, being worked through currently, not yet signed. This would be a prime example of a project that will meet very specific needs for the people of Sri Lanka uh, and will deliver value on into the future. Lastly, I think we do have like-minded partners to address some of these practices that are of great concern, and we should be working with them. Uh, India, Australia, the United Kingdom, many others are equally concerned about these influences, and we need to be working with them to come up with a concerted uh, uh, alternative. What is the, I'm on the Armed Services Committee as well, what's the current state of U.S., Sri Lankan uh, military uh, exercises and cooperation? Senator, that's a good question. We have been slowly renewing uh, our relationship on a mill-to-mill -mill level. Uh, as you know, in the aftermath of the conflict, the 30-year conflict in Sri Lanka, uh, we have been very concerned about gross violations of human rights and progress made to address uh, those atrocities. So our engagement has grown very gradually in proportion to progress on, on reforms in this area. And the overall scope remains modest, but we have engaged in uh, military exchange. Uh, we have some limited engagement with discrete, carefully vetted units and individuals uh, around maritime security. Uh, and we hope to build on those areas, again, commensurate uh, with progress and the limits established by Congress, uh, to strengthen that military relationship in order to address broader issues of national security in the region around maritime domain awareness uh, and transnational crime. And my last question for the panel, and I, uh, I thank my chairman for indulging me by letting me go over which he always does, and I always go over. Um, <laughs> talk about the reconciliation prospects between the Tamil and the Sinhalese communities uh, in the aftermath of this long civil strife. There remain significant differences. The Tamil community is very concerned about uh, progress made toward reconciliation, accountability, justice, and specifically commitments made by the current 
government to the international community in that regard. The government has established an Office of Missing Persons. It is just gazetted, in fact, last night, or last night our time, uh, uh, a bill on an Office of Reparations. And uh, we hope that this progress is going to continue apace. However, I don't think that is fully satisfactory to a community that is looking for constitutional reform and some political solutions to this in addition to the efforts to address the past. If I'm confirmed, I'm committed to helping the government to achieve uh, their commitments to the people of Sri Lanka, but also to helping address openly, transparently, the hard issues in the room, which are the inter-ethnic and inter-religious strife. I think there are many ways to go about that. We have had some programs, uh, and we can build on that foundation. But open dialogue about tough issues, talking about the values of democracy and how people can use democratic institutions to engage, I think these are some of the things that we can continue to, to use to help smooth that over. Um, thanks to each of you. I look forward to supporting all of your nominations. Thanks, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Let me close up with a couple of questions here. Mr. Berry, uh, we've, we've noticed, uh, we've all observed over the last 24 years the, the uh, instability, uh, political instability in Nepal. Uh, some people I've read believe that that's changing or on the cusp of changing. What's your view on that? Uh, thank you, Senator. I, I believe there is an opportunity. There is a there is a potential uh, uh, change here that could be significant. That I think one of the, one of the aspects of Nepali political history, as you've noted, is that the succession of of, of governments have left very little room uh, for governance to actually occur. Uh, that with the new constitutional arrangement and the and the swearing in of the new government under Prime Minister Oli, uh, we now have a, a two year period uh, where uh, challenges to the government stability uh, are are much less likely. So I'm quite hopeful and I think that there is an opportunity here to present in a consistent way U.S. US views and to help Nepal uh, make some progress towards some key goals and key commitments that this government has uh, stated as priorities. Well, I appreciate that. Um, Ms. Tepos, you, you covered a number of areas uh, with Senator Keene that I was going to ask about. I, I think the, those of us uh, who watched what happened uh, with the port uh, are just stunned by this, and, and it is really a good poster child for the world to recognize what, uh, what China is doing. Their, their uh, initiative in that regard, uh, it, is so, it was so obvious and, and uh, so uh, striking that, uh, that countries who are tempted by the uh, dollar uh, or, or by the Chinese uh, uh, investment of, of currency really need to take a look at that and see what what they are uh, facing and what uh, what the consequences can be and i hope you will being as close to this as you are i hope i hope you'll uh, continue to repeat that story regularly so that uh, so that so that countries that are sorely tempted uh, uh, will have a realization of that so uh, thank you for that um the the other thing the the ethnic strike uh, strife uh, uh seems in Sri Lanka is just stunning. I mean, it's about as, as uh, uh, obvious as anywhere in the world and, and, uh, and really uh, acts as a, uh, a story for humanity about conflict uh, between uh, ethnicities. And uh, I appreciated your, your comments in that regard. Are you optimistic uh, that they're going to get through this? It, it just... When I talk to either side, it's just, it, it's stunning to me how, how far apart they are, yet they occupy the same ground and have for, for so long. Your thoughts? 
Mr. Chairman, uh, not having had the benefit of being on the ground, I'm, I'm sure I'll be more fully informed if confirmed and then present at post. But I would say at, at this point that there is room for some optimism. There is dialogue. Uh, the Tamil opposition has supported the current government uh, on its reform agenda, and there is always opportunity there. Uh, I think, though, uh, much does remain to be done, and this clearly extends from the political levels all the way down to the grassroots levels and involves very complicated issues such as the return of land seized during the conflict area, uh, restoration of livelihoods and economic growth that is even across the island, a host of issues that can be uh, that can contribute to mending that strife. That is a big lift for any government to attempt, uh, including the current government. Uh, I suspect that progress will continue to be uneven and probably be much slower than anybody would like. Uh, but I do not think that we should give up hope that that can be achieved. I appreciate that. Finally, um, you know the Maldives. We here are always concerned about foreign uh, fighters uh, traveling to other countries uh, for terrorism. And as we all know, the Maldives uh, has been a contributor to that problem substantially. And uh, we're disheartened by the, uh, by the government uh, being uh, less than enthusiastic about doing something about this. What, what, what are your thoughts in that regard and what kind of message are you going to carry? Senator, thanks for that question. I think counterterrorism is one area where we do have some overlapping interests with the government of the Maldives, and uh, clearly more could be done to address very specifically the issue of foreign return fighters, uh, reintegration programs, uh, better tracking um, of these individuals, again, a host of, uh, of options there. Uh, that is something that, if confirmed, I'm absolutely going to prioritize uh, in our relationship uh, with the Maldives, looking for ways to find that mutual interest. Uh, however, we, I think, have to continue to be clear uh, about the, uh, the disrespect for the democratic process and institutions that the current government has shown. Uh, and perhaps that overlapping mutual interest can lead to other uh, uh, beneficial aspects of a partnership, uh, but certainly we have that CT area to focus on. Thank you so much. Senator Kane, anything else for the good of the order? Well, again, on behalf of Senator Kane and myself, thank uh, all of you and your families uh, for your willingness to do this. Uh, we're going to keep the record open until 5 o'clock tomorrow night in case uh, some of our colleagues have some deep, probing, and difficult questions for you. I think you'll be able to get through them, however. So uh, uh, thank you, uh, uh, all of you, for your participation. The hearing is adjourned.